listening to the Northside Christian Church Sermon Podcast. These teachings are recorded at our weekly Sunday morning gatherings in Springfield, Missouri. For more about our church, service times, and how to connect, visit northsidechristianchurch.net. Well, yesterday was Veterans Day, and it, it is a day where we honor those who have served and died, in their, that we honor those who have served and died for our country. It's also a day that we honor those who are serving, and I appreciate those who are standing here today that we could just take a brief moment to thank them and honor them. November 11th is an important day, and, and the reason it's November 11th is because it goes back to November 11th, 1918, when in World War I there was a truce, so on the 11th day of the 11th month, a significant day to remember those who had died and served. And, and so we, every year, on the 11th of November, on that Veterans Day, take a moment just to appreciate and honor these qualities. And oftentimes, it's, it's just embedded in the DNA of servicemen and women where you see qualities like loyalty and commitment and self-sacrifice and service and integrity. And th- these are the things that, that we honor and that we celebrate in them. And I think that that is the reason why in Scripture, it actually looks at these very qualities that might be in a good soldier and says, those are the kinds of qualities that ought to be emulated in a disciple. Like these things that you see in a good soldier, we, we ought to be like that. In fact, Paul said to his son in the faith, Timothy, in 2 Timothy 2.3, he said it this way. He said, join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus, because no one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Like a good soldier does what they're told to do, goes where they're told to go, and they do not get entangled with a bunch of worldly pursuits that might catch them off mission. The word entangled, picture like a, a fishing line that gets turns into that bird nest and it's all tangled up. And while you're busy trying to get it all straightened up and untangled, the enemy is advancing into your territory. Like, like don't get entangled on all these other things when there's something really important going on. And like a soldier who would do what the commanding officer does or says to do, who follows where he's told or she's told to go, you need to be like that when it comes to following Jesus. At a moment's notice, be ready to engage the fight and to serve and to sacrifice. You know, the Marines, they actually have a motto. The Marines have a motto. And that motto is every Marine a rifleman. Every Marine a rifleman. And the reason for the motto is that they are trained to fight in such a way that no matter what Part you serve, you could be a, in the Marine Corps band, you could be pushing papers at the Pentagon. If you were called on, you could be dropped behind enemy lines and go into the battle and be among the most feared force on the planet when it comes to battle because you're ready. And you do what you're told to do and you go where you're told to go and you serve in this way. So here's the question I want to ask each and every one of us today on this Veterans Day. Are you ready to do what your commanding officer, your heavenly father, has told you to do and to go where he tells you to go and to follow him into where he wants to lead you? The question is, are you ready to do today what he tells you to do? And if so, I honor you. 
I applaud you. Like, I won't have you, but I, I can have you stand and we would cheer and celebrate that you too would have those qualities that would say, I'm going to do what he tells me to do. And so when we come to Colossians chapter 3 today, I want you to know there's some things he's going to tell you to do. Are you, are you going to listen and be ready to do it? Because Jesus, when he walked on this earth, he was God in the flesh. He was fully human. He was the perfect man. And, and Jesus did what he was told to do. In John chapter 5, verse 19, Jesus says, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son does. Like Jesus was only going to do what the father told him to do. In John 8, I do nothing of my own, but speak just what the father has taught me. I only do what pleases him. Jesus, like a good soldier, had that mindset and attitude. I'm going to do what the Father tells me to do. In John 10, 27, he says, My sheep, they listen to me. I know them and they follow me. Like those who belong to me, they do what I say. Just like Jesus listened to his Father's voice, whose voice are you listening to? Are you listening and obeying or responding? There's so much white noise in our lives all the time. We're so distracted with so little margin. Are we even hearing God so we can do what he says? This week we were in Metacamp all week long where Curtis Sargent, who is a disciple maker and a movement uh, practitioner and, and multiplier, he was leading us through a camp all week long, Monday through Friday. It was incredible. But one of the things he mentioned was there was some research done with our with Gen Alpha. Those are that's those born 2010 to 2025, and the research was just looking at how much time they spend on screen time. It was screen time, and what they came up with on average was seven and a half hours a day on screen time. And I would ask how much of that time was devoted to reading or hearing from God. And then doing what God says. The research didn't get into that part. It just got into how much time was spent there. And I just know that there's so many distractions. There's so much white noise in our lives. That there's so little margin that oftentimes we're not doing what God wants us to do. Because we're not even hearing or listening to his commands. And today what I want to do is just give you a little bit of time to listen and hear to his commands. And that in the power of the Holy Spirit you would go do what he says to do. Jesus said in John 14, if you love me you'll do what I command. If you really love me, you're going to do what I say to do. And so like a good soldier, we want to hear, we want to receive, we want to listen, and we want to immediately put it into practice. Now, we're we're going to come to a text today. We're going to read two verses from Colossians 3, verses 18 and 19, as we continue through the book of Colossians. And these two verses we come to today, we're only going to cover two out of Colossians, are really directed towards household relationships. And these two have to do with husband and wife. It has to do with marriage. And I just want to say, if you're not married, it's okay. There's a lot we can learn from this. I, I believe you can gather out of this. But he's talking to husbands and he's talking to wives. And here's the text, Colossians 3, 18 to 19. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. This is God's command to us today. If we hear this, then we will obey this. But I would imagine that already right now there are numerous people in this room or maybe listening right now online who already don't really like how this started. Like there's this one word, like this is just one word, but it's that one word that just kind of is cringeworthy and it rubs you wrong a little bit. And it's like wives submit. 
I know it just has this negative connotation. Already some of you are sitting here and you're like, my friend came to church with me today. There are 53 Sundays in 2023. And this is the one that they come to. Where the first instruction to the husband and wife actually is to the wife and says, wives, submit. Are you kidding me? Look, I get it. I know. If, even at first glance, it's almost like, it, you know, wives submit to your husbands. Husbands love your wives. So do not be harsh with them. So you almost have this feeling like, like the husbands are just like, hey, submit to me and I won't be harsh. There it goes. We just have these negative connotations with this word submission. And I know what some of them are. It's an idea that women are inferior in some way. It sounds like this unhealthy male dominance where you lose your identity and your personhood and Others assume it just means blind obedience and so on the part of the woman and so you just do whatever your husband says. And like wives should give no input and should question nothing. You know, if, like all will go well if you're just obediently barefoot and pregnant and in the kitchen, then it's just going to be great for you. Others fear that submission leads to being used or abuse of some kind. Really like... Like I'm in a relationship that kind of almost looks like that. You want, am I supposed to submit to that? Some of you read this and you're just like, surely this was like an, this is like an outdated standard, right? Like I know God's word is for all people at all times, all cultures, everywhere. It's eternal. It'll never pass away. But you know, there are those ceremonial laws like in the Old Testament, right? There's ceremonial laws, moral laws, ceremonial laws. We, you know, we don't follow those anymore. Jesus fulfilled those. So maybe it's like one of those and... And it probably is, because I mean, like, we've advanced a lot in 2,000 years, you know, since this was written. So, I mean, look around, like, our marriages are awesome in our culture. They're, like, thriving. So, clearly, we're doing it better than they were in the church in the first century. It must be this outdated concept that just needs to be disregarded. I mean, I can hardly think of a word that's probably been more misrepresented, misconstrued, misunderstood... And maybe even to a greater degree, most neglected than maybe maybe this one. Our interpersonal relationships, we don't know what to do with this. But maybe instead of discarding it, maybe a good soldier, we hear something from his commanding officer, her commanding officer, and say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to do that. So I, I just want us to look at this. I'm going to flip the narrative a little bit as we talk about this word, since Paul talks about wives first and then says to submit your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. How about we take a moment and just talk about even this word submission for a moment. And let me just say this out of the gate. Submission is a relational asset for all people. Like when you look at this word throughout scripture, it's not a word that's just used towards wives. Like it's used for men and women, young and old. Slave and free, citizens and leaders. Like we're all commanded to submit throughout various scriptures. Or like in Ephesians 5.21, when right before Paul is going to tell wives to submit to husbands, he says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So as he's talking about the body of Christ here, we need to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. 
Like submission is something we all need to learn about and we all need to apply to our lives way better than we are now because submission is this relational asset that God has given us. You know, even in our staff team, we've got this core value that through the years we've talked about among our lead staff about, it's, it's called mutual submission. Some people will, will describe it as servant leadership where one of the best things you can do for your culture and to have a good working relationship among your team is for you to, to go to a coworker and say, how can I help you? How can I serve you? What can I do for you? That level of mutual submission can create a work environment that's healthy and thriving and good and supportive. How can I help you? Mutual submission. It blesses our relationship. Secondly, let me say this. Submission is first and foremost to God. It's to God first. Like in James 4, 7, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Submit first to God. The priority matters. Or in Proverbs 13, 6, in all your ways, submit to him. That's the actual word. Submit to him, and he will make your path straight. You submit to him. We submit to God first, which means anything anyone, any person who might lead us in a way that would not be what God desires or wants. We don't submit to that. We submit to God first. He is our priority. And his, in fact, our relationship with God requires submission. You can't have a relationship with the Lord unless you submit to the almighty God, the King, our creator, our Lord, and our savior. We submit to his leadership in our lives. We're all called to do do this. So when Colossians 3 comes into play here. And in the verses preceding this, it's telling us that in whatever you do, whatever you do, do it for the Lord Jesus. Do it to honor his name. We come to these verses in Colossians 3, 18 and 19, and Paul's just going to start getting more specific to, to our household relationships. And he begins with this first one. Let's talk about husbands and wives. How you treat one another can bring great honor to Jesus and great blessing to each other. Like this is really important. How you treat your spouse matters for eternity. How you treat your spouse matters not just with your relationships here, but your relationship with your father. How you treat your spouse is going to be testimony to the world of what love and action looks like. So if you want your marriage to honor Jesus, that kind of marriage that is pleasing to your commanding officer. There's two directives here. One is for wives to submit to their husbands as as fitting to the Lord. And the other is for husbands to love their wives and to not be harsh with them. And I just want you to know right now, as for the record, loving your wife is not easier than submitting to your husband if you love the way Jesus loved. Both are challenging and both are critical. And then there's other scriptures, like the one in Titus 2.4 that tells wives to love their husbands, or the one in 1 Peter 3.7 that tells husbands to respect their wives. This is about our relationships and how we care for each other and what that does. And if you want that relationship to look like Jesus, here's what you need to know. Michael DeFazio in his book, More Jesus, he, he asks the question, what's the purpose of marriage? And he goes through a series of things, including, you know, is, is it our, our happiness and, and pleasure and desire? Like, what, what are all the reasons for marriage? But... He comes to this biblically, and he says this, number one, biblically, our marriage is for the purpose of honoring the name of Jesus. Like in that marriage relationships, husbands, how you treat your wife should make people think, wow, that looks like Jesus. And how wives relate with gentle respect to their husbands should 
lead people to say, wow, that, that looks like Jesus. Like it should honor the name of Jesus. Like that's, that's what we're after biblically. And secondly, marriage provides endless opportunities to grow by reflecting God's love to others. The fact is marriage is hard. It is a school. Like when you're in marriage, it just exposes oftentimes your own inadequacies or weaknesses or flaws. And it's there in that relationship that we realize where we need to grow the most. It's where we can be most honest and vulnerable and and open, which makes it hard and sometimes frustrating. And because of that, we grow. We grow to become more like Christ. We, We grow to become who he's called us to be. It is a school of love. And you don't just pass through it as you age out. Like, it's not that kind of a thing. Like, you, you're you in it, and it's a place of growth. Stretches us. Thirdly, marriage is the backbone of homes committed to extending God's mission in the world. Like, the purpose of marriage is to show the world what God's love looks like in action, in our own relationships, in our own homes, and as we raise children, and whatever God's called us into. And this is why in Ephesians 5.21, Paul, before talking to husbands and wives, specifically tells the church, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's in the spirit of submission that you see the attitude of Jesus permeating. And then he would tell wives to submit to their husbands because in submission, it's a relational asset. Now, here's the third thing I want us to know about submission. Submission is a choice. It's a choice. You're not forced into it. It's it's a choice. The verb submit literally means place yourself in submission. It's a choice that you make where you willingly place yourself under someone to help them and serve them by choice. Helping them to be all that God's called them to be. Unfortunately, for most of us, when we think of submission, this is what we think of. Like this is our cultural understanding of submission. It's how it's used. The way we use submission in this culture, it just makes this almost impossible for us to understand. This is what we think of submission. We're thinking chokehold, arm bar, triangle, like, you know, until someone either taps out or passes out. That's submission. We get them into submission hold, they're going to tap out or pass out. That, that's the way it works. It's forced. It's controlled. We demand it. We dictate it. But I want you to notice in the text already in Colossians 3, the command is to the wife, not to the husband. Husbands, make sure your wives submit to you. No, it doesn't go like that. He says, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Because this this is a a choice. These concepts we see are not biblical understandings of submission. It's not forced. It's not taking advantage of someone. In fact, submission involves two things. It involves attitude and action. Attitude, what's happening internally. Action, how I'm expressing it in my relationship. It's both attitude and action. And I can just tell you, I've not always submitted with the right attitude, even if I submitted with the right action. So I'll give you an example. I remember uh, when my youngest son, Owen, was three years old. We were at Whitewater and we were in a, a big, one of those big inner tubes, you know, the kind that, I don't know if I reserved it or, you know, stole it off the beach. I don't know what happened. I don't remember. I, you, you always had to find them. But we're, we're out in the wave pool and I was sitting in this big inner tube. Owen was three years old, so he was just sitting in my lap. And it was this beautiful day and we're just kind of just floating out there, got the sunglasses on, beautiful day, just enjoying it. 
And as we're out there, just kind of in this wave pool, and all of a sudden I hear this. This keeps going on. I turn around, look up. This lifeguard gal looked like she was looking my direction. She's like, only one. And I pointed at me like, are you talking to me? And she confirmed, yes, only one talking to me. Then I pointed at my son in my lap like, him? Like this? She again confirmed that, yes, only one. All right. Shrug my shoulders, get off my tube, take Owen, who's about, you know, this big, and the tube is about this big around or so, at least. You don't have to get your whole body into. And so I kind of straddled him on there, and he's half hanging on this tube, and he kind of had this look like, you know, this isn't working very well. And I said, of course it's not. And so I took him over there, kind of right under the lifeguard. I wanted her to see my, my obedience, you know. So I took her there because it looked so hilarious. And the expression on his face almost had a slight taint of fear as he's hanging on to this thing. And the waves are starting. And so I just kind of kept him over there because I wanted her to be like, this isn't very safe. I wanted her to process what I had. Obviously, I'm so much smarter. I had processed it very quickly. And so I wanted her to process what was happening. And then the whole time I'm doing that, I'm thinking to myself, he's probably going to fall in. Like, it's, it's not if it's going to happen, like when it happens. I know it's not a super proud dad moment, but he's tough. And so he'd be all fine. But when he went under, I thought to myself, uh, should I look up her and be like, you know, get back? Um, <laughs> I mean, this is totally what was going on in my head. I'm just confessing to you now. It was a long time ago, so the Lord's already forgiven me. But I just, you know, I was going to do, I, I thought about seriously doing that and letting her jump in, go save him. And, and, uh, and when she point like me, like, yes, you, go, go save him. So this is what's going on in my head. So you can just answer the question. Uh, I was submissive in action, but you can just answer this. Was I submissive in attitude? Absolutely not. And I think she knew it. Like, you can feel it, right? You feel it. Like, the dude, you're just making a point. I, mm-hmm, I am. So I was making a point. And so our relationship did not grow through that. Like, I don't think she thought to herself, you know, when I think of Jesus, I think of that guy right there. You know, it's not like we saw each other later walking, like, hey, you know, a little side hug. and Good to see you. Like there was nothing about the relationship that was enhanced or grown. I didn't feel closer to God or to her or anybody else in that moment. And I don't think Owen appreciated it either. So there was nothing about my submission that actually was submission. It's attitude. It's action. There wasn't gentle respect forming in my mind. And it's in the context of this verse that we're reading here where Paul would say the attitude of the wife that sees a marriage look like Christ is one where she says, you know what? I'm going to show gentle respect to my husband and help him lead well so he might accomplish everything that God would have him to do. Like I am here to help him be everything God's called him to be. And I am here to help and to honor and to provide that gentle respect. And where a husband says, I'm going to love my wife with a depth of love that helps her to be everything that God has set her apart to be. That would encourage and support her in that. And I'm going to love her like that. That's the relationship Paul's talking about here. 
Abraham's wife, Sarah, is even quoted by Peter in his letter, his, in 1 Peter, like as, as just this model example of, of the impact that can have. In fact, she's even listed in Hebrews chapter 11 in the hall of faith. And what Peter draws attention to is how even she had this spirit and demeanor about her that was submissive to her own husband that was just inspiring and moving and a blessing to that relationship and to us who get to read about her and see it, that she was submissive in the same way that Jesus was, that you could see Jesus in her, the way she served and the way she sacrificed. There was something about her that was like that. And because of that, submission must be by choice. It comes from the heart, not from coercion. You know, my wife and I, we, when we got our first dog after our first year of marriage, it was a German shepherd. Uh, Bella was her name. Incredible dog. But I remember, you know, as we read all the books about training your dogs, you know, we did the whole thing. We had them. One of the things we did was the submission hold. There we go again, that word. The submission hold, where we lay the dog down, the German shepherd on the side, and we just hold her there. She'd be like, I want to get up. You're like, no, you're not. You're going to stay. We exert our influence and control over the dog to train the dog to do what we were telling the dog to do, to be obedient, to follow. It's called a submission hold. Lay them down, just hold them there until they relax and obey and learn that when you put them in the position, they're to do what you say to do. And so I tried it. And Kim did not like it. And no matter how hard I would put my weight on her, no, just easing. I... I, It doesn't work in marriage. That is not submission. It does not work in marriage. Like you can do it with a dog, but we ought to change the word. That's really not even what submission is. Submission is unforced. It's unforced. And so in 1 Peter 2, 13 to 14, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority. Oh, this is to all of us whether to the emperor as the supreme authority. You know the time frame when Peter's writing this? Or to the governors who were sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. Submit yourself. Submission is placing yourself, a voluntary choice. It is unforced. He even mentions governing authorities here. Later, he mentions basically employer-employee type relationships, those over you, who have authority over you. Then he even mentions later in his, the same letter, the household of faith. He'll talk about husbands and wives and Peter will bring that up as well. And he, he likely is, is doing this because Peter is a married man. He's a married man who, according to 1 Corinthians 9, 5, his wife traveled with him. It's not like he goes to another country. He's like, you know, in my house, you know, my wife submits. Like, she's with him. Like, he can't say something that's not actually happening in their home. She's with him. And so he says this in 1 Peter 3, 1 through 2, wives... In the same way. In the same way as what? In the same way as Jesus. That's what he's been talking about. In the same way as Jesus, who sacrificed himself and served. In the same way as Jesus, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. And when they they see the, the purity and reverence of your lives... He suggests that this attitude of submission is so relationally powerful that if you choose to relate to your husband in this way with gentle respect and honor and allowing him to lead to be the best that he can be, 
that God's called him to be, that can be so relationally powerful that an unbelieving husband would be so drawn to that that they might actually come to believe in Jesus himself and want to follow Jesus himself. And this isn't just some random idea out there like this has happened. It's even happened right here in this church at Northside when Zanetta Willis started coming and pursuing the Lord. And when her husband showed up, it was like when he saw Zanetta and the life change in her and her spirit and her attitude and what was going on in her, he's like, I I want some of that. He started coming to church. He ended up coming to know the Lord and entering into a relationship with the Lord because he saw what Peter goes on to describe, this unfading beauty of a quiet and gentle spirit. It caught his attention. I mean, it actually happened. It's not a guarantee it happens. It's saying when that kind of an attitude, it opens the door in the heart in so many ways. It is an unfading beauty. It doesn't depreciate. It never decreases. Like everything we know in life, there's so many tangibles in this life that just have a straight line depreciation. They're decaying. They're depreciating. It's all around us all the time. It's most of what we know. Submission is not like that. It doesn't depreciate in value over time. We've treated it like a depreciating asset. We've used it as this old school concept that's outdated and doesn't work anymore. And so we've ignored it and we try not to talk about it. But I can just tell you that rejecting God's wisdom on this does not set us up for success, and it hasn't. Rejecting biblical instruction, even for submission, for for all of us in all different capacities. But even our marriages, it's not improving our marriages. We have a, a marriage crisis in our culture in the United States of America. It's not getting better. So maybe we ought to listen to what our commanding officer says and just do what he says. He goes on to say this in 1 Peter 3, 7. Husbands, in the same way, same way as what? As Jesus. In the same way as Jesus and with his love and sacrifice. Be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect. She is on your mind. You're thinking, reflecting on her. You're considering her in everything you do. And you treat her with respect. You know the kind of respect that men really desire and want? Like in Ephesians when Paul says, you know, wives, respect your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. There's actually some research that's been done on that about love and respect. And love is their, their greatest love language and respect for the man. And, and it's, it's, what, it's why God's giving this, these commands. But we too respect our wives and consider her and honor her in the same way that Jesus was considerate of others and gave up his life. We want to be like that. Simply put, marriage works best when husbands sacrificially serve their wives and wives gently respect their husbands. If we would just come back to this, as just kind of a a foundational starting piece. It could help us make some progress. Barbara Rainey, she says... I voluntarily submit to my husband to help him become who God intended him to be so that he might interpret that choice as respect, admiration, and honor. You know, when you do that, you'll have a husband who will want to run through a wall for you. But if a woman constantly competes and criticizes, constantly corrects, 
whatever efforts or steps are made are criticized in the moment. And if he were to fail, she immediately takes over. Here's what we have found just strictly from what's happening in our culture is he will check out. He typically will not fight for the leadership in the home there. He will disengage emotionally, mentally, spiritually, psychologically, just step back and engage in other arenas where he feels more affirmed and supported. And so that's why sometimes we see guys just going more headlong into work or more headlong into whatever hobby or other things where they find that kind of support and affirmation. In other words, oftentimes men won't fight their wives for leadership. They'll just turn it over and walk away. It's happened over and over and over again in cultures and in communities. And so we come back to this command in Colossians 3, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Notice that part, as is fitting to the Lord. And so we come to Colossians 3 and I know we've been talking about this general theme and scope of submission for a moment. Let's, let's take a moment to look at the command to husbands to love their wives. This, is, this may be a simple command, but it is so difficult and complex to follow to actually do. I mean, to love someone who maybe in that moment isn't being lovable. You know, that happens. It happened between Jesus and his church. There's times we are not lovable and we're not respecting him or not listening to him or honoring or whatever. He loves us. What does that look like? What's love look like? You know, if you were to ask children about love to define love, it's always so cute. Like Carl, he's age five. He was asked to define love. He says, love is when a girl puts perfume on and a boy puts on shaving cologne. And then they go out and smell each other. <laughs> That's love. Karen, she was age seven. She says, when you love somebody, your eyelashes go up and down and stars come out. That's her definition of love. That's cute. But it's not how Paul defines love. In Ephesians 5, he says, husbands... Love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He expands on his command in Colossians. Love your wives as Christ loved the church. Well, how was that? That means you love. You love even when the other person in your life is acting unlovely. You love anyway. What that means is you love with a sacrificial love. A sacrificial love. I think every husband here would be willing to make the ultimate sacrifice for his wife. Like in that moment's notice, you would do it. If it was a hostage situation, it's like, it's her life or it's yours. You'd be like, it's mine. And you would, you would set her free and you would pay the ultimate price. You'd go down in a blaze of glory and you'd be gone. But maybe there'd be a placard at the city square or something about it. You know, your name makes it in the newspaper. And, but that's just not how it works. How it works is to love your wife, you have to die and die and die every day over and over again. That's not what makes marriage so bad. That's what makes it so good. If you're going to love like Jesus, you die to self 
So living for her could be harder than dying for her. But that's what Jesus did. He did both. Christ loves the church even when it does not submit, does not love him in return, disrespects him, loves the church when the church is unlovable. Husbands, love your wife with a sanctifying love where she's been set apart to God. That means you get to honor her and support her with all of the God-given gifts and passions and interests and desires that she has that, that God has put within her to be expressed in this life for kingdom purposes. And so we, it's a sanctifying, set-apart kind of love that we come alongside because she exists first for God. Not for you. It's not for your desires, not for your comfort, not for your pleasure. It's for God. So we support that. We love her with, with the word of God. We know in Ephesians that Jesus has sanctified the bride, the church, through his word, the washing of water with his word. And when you allow the word of God to be prominent in our home, so that the word of God is washing over us and washing over her, so we're being sanctified in the truth of God's word. That's how we love her. The kind of love we're talking about is a serving love, a faithful love, a considerate love, a caring love, enduring love. It's the kind of love that would speak encouraging words into her, speak blessing over her, would speak the name of Jesus over her. That's the kind of love we're talking about. And here's one more way you could find out what it looks like to love her the way Jesus would call you to love her is just ask her. Like you could ask her, how can I love you? the way that Christ wants me to love you. Now, I'd, I'd recommend that you first work, work on it yourself. Now, you come up with some ways you could love her the way Jesus called you to love her. I've tried to give you a few hints here along the way, but let's start with that. She cares that that matter more. And then you can come to her and say, how could I love you in more meaningful ways? You see, love and submission is a Christ-like response. He's not asking you to do anything he's not already done himself. Love and submission is a Christ-like response. And marriage is too important and our life is too short to not start acting like a good soldier and obeying what he tells us to do and take God at his word. And in these moments, it's in that marriage relationship, this is when we can begin to serve and today make a commitment. We're going to, no matter what, start doing what God's called us to do. This is where we can make a commitment that says, you know what, we're, we're going to put effort into this and we're, we're going we're gonna to enter into counseling or coaching, or we're going to go to a marriage retreat. We're going to invest in this. We're going to serve each other, care for each other. We're going to do the work of honoring and loving and respecting one another because so much damage is done in relationships between husband and wife and between our, our, our parents and, and children and our families and our homes and in our friendships. It affects, it affects every relationship in our life when we are not like good soldiers and we don't love the way we've been called to love and submit in the areas in which we've been called to submit. But if we would, I'm just telling you now, there is a picture of what relationship looks like and what love looks like and what, a, how, what marriage looks like that points to Jesus. Where the marriage relationship looks like Christ and his church and it, it lets this world begin to get glimpses of what that can look like with God our Father. You know, I, um, I have known my father-in-law since I was in third grade. And he's been my father-in-law now for 29 and a half years. I've had a lot of time of watching and 
observing him in all aspects of life. And so in July, when he was diagnosed with stage four cancer, and that cancer was just filling up nodules in his lungs, and it was in his brain and bones and liver and edges of his spleen, and it just was everywhere. I had this incredible front row seat to see someone with deep abiding faith in Jesus. What it looks like to set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, to set your mind on heaven. And it gave me a front row view of this sacred place where I got to just see him interact in his relationships, to see what he was thinking and what he was saying and what he was living for and what he was doing. He went through this whole thing with this um, this picture that it was as if he was standing in line for heaven and God came up to him and just said, Marion, it's just someone to tell him, you're moving to the front of the line. And he's like, all right, hey, we're going to the front of the line. And, and God was like, no, not everyone, just you. And so his approach to that was, it's hard, but it's good. It's hard, but it's good. And be able to watch him even in his relationships with his family. But I want to take a moment just saying specifically with his wife to see how he loved her and honored her and was not harsh with her. I mean, it doesn't mean there weren't moments of frustration or being short with her when you're struggling or whatever. But to see what love looks like in a marriage relationship, to see how he was choosing that, and then to watch Lynn all through their married lives and and especially to have that front row seat in recent months to see how she submitted to her husband as was fitting to the Lord, how she loved him and was his primary caregiver in every aspect to just watch her in that moment. For me, it was looking at Jesus and his church, the bride and the groom, Lynn and Marion. It shows us what it looks like if, if you take the attitude of a good soldier that just says, I'm going to do what my commanding officer says. And what happens is this relational impact that's just not between you and a spouse, but it impacts generations and it impacts others in the faith family and it impacts others who are not even part of the faith family who see something there that they would like to emulate. And the power is far reaching. And I would like for us just for a few moments right now, just to spend some time in self-reflection, what God is calling us to do and how we can obey. I just want you to close your eyes and just sit here for a few moments and just say, God, what are you calling me to do? Father, what, in light of everything I've heard, what do you want me to obey and to do? And let's invite the Holy Spirit to give us the strength to do it. And then you can begin to reflect on who would you share it with? Let's take 
few moments to hear and listen from God, what he's telling you to do. Heavenly Father, we are listening to you. Lord, we want to hear from you today and what you've told us to do. I pray that you would give us the strength and courage to do it, to act on it. Lord, no matter what the other response is, no matter what kind of responses we receive, we ultimately are here to please you, to submit to you. Lord, I pray that we would honor one another. We would love each other. We would respect each other. We would build one another up with our words and not let any unwholesome talk come out of our mouths. Lord, I want to pray that we would live lives where we serve each other well and follow the model of Jesus who considered others before himself, who willingly gave of his life. And Jesus, I just want to pray that you would help our relationships, you would help our marriages, you would help us to look more like Jesus. And in so doing, it would be a testimony and witness to this world. And so, Lord, I just want to pray that, Holy Spirit, you would work in and and through us. Give us the courage to do it, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, church, as you stand to your feet this morning, I just want to take a moment and just invite you right now to respond. And and obviously you're responding as you pray, but if you want today to begin a relationship with Jesus, or you want to become part of this church family, or perhaps today you just need to take a next step of faith, I'm going to invite you to meet me right over here at Decision Point. I would love to talk and pray with you there. But also during this time of response, our prayer team is here. They're coming down the sides. They'll be around the room. They're already praying for you. They've been praying already with some of you. And I know they are here and ready to pray with you. And whatever you have to bring to God, they want to intercede for you and pray with you. So go to them during this time. And we also want this to be a time where we respond to the Lord by giving our first and our best to him. Where we give of our treasures that we've received with our finances to God. And you can see right here on the screen, you can text your gift amount to that number, or you can go to northsidechristianchurch.net slash give to give there. Or you can give at the boxes at the back of the room as you give so that we can continue to be people on mission for what God is doing. So we invite you to participate in those ways. And as we sing, make this your prayer that we will speak the name of Jesus over our families. We'll speak the name of Jesus over our spouses. We'll speak the name of Jesus over our family, our friends, over anxiety and depression, over whatever strongholds. We're going to speak the name of Jesus over that and invite his presence to lead us. And let's make that our prayer as we sing.
Thanks for joining us this morning, Northside. Before you go, make sure you check in and let us know you were here. Text the word CHECK to 417-233-1200. If you want to respond to today's service, you can do that online through Decision Point. If you want to know more about baptism or becoming a member, you can request more info at northsidechristianchurch.net slash decision. This is also the place to find out about our life groups, find out what sort of service opportunities there are, or if you just need to get in touch with a minister. And if you're online, you probably use social media too. Make sure you're following along with Northside on our Facebook page, Instagram account, YouTube channel, or Twitter. We are glad that you chose to join us this morning. As we head out for the week, let's make sure we take the love of God with us. Take good care of each other, Northside.